Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for December 8th, 2022. I am Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, joined, as always, by Mike Tanier, senior analyst. And our special guest today is Connor Rogers from SNY TV and the NBC Sports Fantasy Football Happy Hour. He is here to talk about one of the big games of the week and the game we are going to start with, and that is the New York Jets at the Buffalo Bills, the 1 p.m. game. This is the most important game for our Super Bowl odds because of the Bills. They make the Super Bowl in 37% of Sims when they win, but 27% if they lose. Meanwhile, the Jets make the playoffs 82% of the time if they win, but 49% of the time if they lose. And of course, these two teams already played five weeks ago, and the Jets surprised everyone with a 20 to 17 upset. Yeah, it was a big upset. Aaron is fading out a little bit. Connor, you were ground zero for that game. What was what were your thoughts watching it? What was the reaction? I think how the Jets took care of the Bills by being physical and capitalizing on their injury report that week. And that's not, you know, it's interesting. Some people have called it fluky circumstances or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it feels like it's just good game planning. Matt Milano was out that week. Jordan Poyer was out that week. And the Jets essentially to win the game when Zach Wilson was under center, an offense that was much more limited, they just ran the ball right down the field and put the replacement defenders in conflict over and over again, and they could not make a play. So, and then, you know, obviously the real thing that is consistent and no way a week by week thing is that the Jets defense has played at a high level and Stefan Diggs came out of the gate firing and had that 40 plus yard catch to open the game. And then they kept him in check the rest of the game. They forced Josh Allen into bad decisions. Sauce Gardner had a pick. Jordan Whitehead had a pick. Um, the defensive line played pretty well against Bill's O-line that, does have question marks throughout this year and injuries as well. So the Jets, they needed to steal a big win against, uh, you know, a more powerful opponent. And that was the one on the calendar so far. Going back, I hope my audio is good here. I went back and watched the game yesterday and a couple of things stood out to me. The first is that the problems that the Bills backup defenders had tackling, which shouldn't be an issue in this game, because obviously no Von Miller but you do have Poyer back and Milano back and you have Tredavious White now. Um, the other thing that got me was um, that the, the Jets moved Sauce Gardner around more than they usually do. Like usually Sauce is on the offensive left and Reed is on the offensive right. And that is just the way it works. And if you, you know, if you want your receiver to be covered by Reed, you just move him to the right. And the Jets moved guys around against the Bills more often. Yeah, and they, they like to do this now, I believe, in the red area. Not It hasn't been a trend enough where we can consistently, consistently say the Jets are more open to moving their corners, but it's a really good catch that maybe against certain opponents, it's something that they have to consider, especially if they think they have one of the best corners in the game already in Sauce Gardner. Now, the ironic part is DJ Reed has been almost as good. He just doesn't get any of the hype because he's not a rookie. He doesn't have the nickname. He's five <laughs> foot nine. It's, you know, all of these things. But DJ Reed has been maybe just as good as Sauce in those circumstances. So we've seen teams try to move their top receiver in the slot to go against Michael Carter or move them around in general. So it'll be interesting to see the Jets 
counterattack in this game, knowing that the Bills are going to have a little bit more in the tank. The Bills are playing for that number one seed. The Bills got have to be angry after that upset loss. And I think that was the most angry I've seen Josh Allen after a game when when he put it all on himself. So you know, he the, had a couple of bad picks. I really, mean, really, he just didn't one, see defenders. Couldn't see the defender because yeah. uh, the right tackle was in the way, I guess. And the second one, he just kind of threw it. Uh, and Gabe Davis went one way, and and Allen thought he was going a different way, and Gardner was just there. Yeah, he really made a lot of mistakes that you know put the game in the Jets' hands. And Trey White and Jordan Poyer, I'm assuming, are are good to go for this game. Mabilano has not practiced this week yet, so that is going to be really interesting to see. And that's a bit of a surprise. Uh, it's they're describing it as a knee injury, which sounds like I don't know if that's something new. So that's. I would call it the biggest loss the Bills had last time they played in terms of impact of the game and something that needs to be tracked going into this one. Right. So much of every Bills week-to-week scouting report is who's there. Yeah. And if this many people are there, they're the best team in the NFL. But as it drops to this level, they're vulnerable to stronger teams. And and, and the Jets fill into that category of a stronger team right now. Yeah, which is not what yeah. we expected, right? No. Going into the year. It's not. Right. But, you know, and what here's the question, guys, that I, you know, I, I like to throw to you as well that I'm looking at. The Jets are so different in this game. Mike White's under center. Garrett Wilson is a drastically different player with anybody not named Zach Wilson. <laughs> it opens up the run game. It's they're right. they've, they've had a million different offensive line combinations. Bam Knight's been a nice find at running back. He's not Brees Hall. Uh, but Bam Knight didn't play the last time these teams met. It was James Robinson who just doesn't look like himself. So it's this is a totally different game. Von Miller had a strip sack in that game on Zach Wilson. It's a totally different game this time around. Absolutely. And with White, uh, you, you see just a more professionalized offense. Yes. It, it's not this, well, we have designed this play that Zach Wilson can execute, yeah. and that is how Wilson will get the ball, and then this is how well, Moore will never get the ball, et cetera. And like so many people, and one thing, it was one thing against the Bears, like, oh, so many guys got involved. It's like, well, the Bears kept handing the ball back, handing the ball back. Last week, short of not being able to execute in the end zone, you know, the ball's getting to Azuma, the ball's getting to Moore, the ball's getting to, to, to these different guys. And while we're not going to say Mike White is, is on some tier anywhere along the way, the basic things that can be done, checking down to a, a secondary target, getting the ball deep to an open receiver, those things are things that the Jets are getting right now. Yeah, and it's able, allowed them to even mess with their personnel a little bit. They were so scared of Zach Wilson facing pressure because his eyes would drop instantly that you saw a lot of heavy and tighter sets. And right. that takes you know a, a weapon out of the Jets' pockets because one thing the Jets are deep at is wide receiver, at pass catcher. They have Garrett Wilson, they have Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, and Braxton Berrios. Right. All of those guys are capable – of having some kind of impactful role catching the ball. And you can't put them on the field if you need all this extra help for protection. So we saw them go empty a little bit more. It's allowing these guys to all get on the field. And that's because White's just processing quicker. He sees things better. He knows the offense better. And he will hang in there and take a hit to make a throw. I I will say you said, you pointed out that Garrett Wilson is a bit of a different guy now that White is quarterback. Wilson did have a good game. In that first game, he had 92 yards and the bills are something like 27th against number one wide receivers. Um, So, I mean, I would expect another big day from Wilson because like you said, he does seem to be better with white and he was already good the first time these two teams played. Yeah, this is a big one for him. And, and, you know, he's their offense and 
the good thing is they finally, and this has been the Jets' problem for a long time, they finally can go other places if that number one guy is taken away or what they do best is taken away. But right. it feels like outside of, I look at the Green Bay game where Jair Alexander followed him and did a good job really wiping him out. Teams have struggled to do that, no matter how hard they Bills try. Don't. And The Bills it, don't do that. Even when no. Tredavious White was healthy, they did. And Tredavious White is still not back to 100%. There's it, not, it feels like they're rotating him. Yeah, yes. they, there's, there's going to be a lot of different guys covering Wilson. Here's the thing, too. Garrett Wilson had, what, 160 yards last week. He would have had an 80-yard touchdown with a good throw where he yeah. destroyed Patrick Peterson. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a stat line that easily should have been 240. You know, it's just uh, it's crazy what he can do. And White's been an upgrade for him, but Wilson is just that kind of player already. Yeah, when you people in our Discord will talk about, well, if Garoppolo were here, like they always put that, tier of yeah. quarterback in and like the Jets would be whatever nine and two eight and three whatever that's an example of that if you get the Garoppolo level throw last week probably get a win because you punch a touchdown in somewhere along the way and yeah. that's difference from average quarterback whatever you want to call it to white and then white to Wilson is yeah. what we see against the Patriots hmm. uh BU Vandals has a question and we need you a little bit what would, would you say about Jermaine Johnson and how he has progressed as a rookie He's been a really good edge setter for them, something that was a huge problem. They got ran all over last year at will, and they've been able to find Jermaine a role that didn't ask him to be a hero because they have Carl Lawson, they have John Franklin Myers, they have Bryce Huff, they have guys that can rush from the edge. Jermaine got hurt, but when you look at it, when he before he got hurt and then when he came back, he's just been this strong edge setter that can bring a lot of effort as a pass rusher. So he's been rock solid for them in a rookie edge class that has been alarmingly quiet this year. Yeah, you noticed that, huh? Awesome. Remember Trayvon Walker? Remember that guy? Oh, my I, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will say the ESPN stats are interesting. Josh Allen relatively struggles against the Blitz this year. Hmm. He's only 13th in QBR against Blitzes. But the Jets only blitzed him twice in the first matchup. So I wonder whether they might blitz him a little bit more in this one. I think you'll see it sprinkled in. I think they would like him to play in structure because they trust their front four to get home. And, and that's something that they built the team on. I think they have the most expensive D-line in football. So when you look at it like right. that, it's it's let your guys get home. Quinnen's been excellent this year. He's been yeah. everything he's been they could fantastic. have hoped for. Yeah, fantastic. Lawson's run hot and cold, but he's been okay. Uh, Bryce Huff's been very, very good. So Maybe they'll have to pick their spots when they right. send it after Allen. That's for sure. Right. I'd be reluctant to say, let's change who we are and to try to put pressure on Josh Allen. Exactly. That seems like it's a great way to. Well, there's different, you know, it's like there's different kinds of teams. Some teams are like, this is what we do best. We're going to do what we do best. And you have to beat it. Like that was right. always the way that the Pete Carroll Seahawks were. Right. And some teams are like, we're going to try to be able to do everything at a B level. And we're going to do whatever you aren't good at. Like we're going to, and that's like the Bill Belichick way of thinking. And right. neither, neither of those ways of thinking is better than the other. And in part, it depends on who your personnel is. But, right. you know, it sounds like the Jets are more of a, okay, we're going to do what we do and we do it well kind of team on defense. Yeah, they've gotten that way, and it's it's interesting, guys. In the beginning of the year, they were blitzing a lot, and it was not working. And then Quinnen had that viral blow-up on the sideline because <laughs> they were just blitzing players into his rush lanes, and it would just cancel everybody out. And you're looking at it, and you're going, why are you taking defenders away from the back end 
that are just hurting our defensive lines. Quinnen won that war. He was right. And then when you look at their metrics of week weeks one to three, that when that blow up happened and week four and on, they've sent less guys and their pressure rate has been drastically higher. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to say, you don't think actually about how blitzes will affect being in guys' rush lanes, but it makes some sense that if you have, that if, you know, if the blitzes aren't working, that guys are going to get in each other's way. Blitzing's a skill. And it's, you know, it's fascinating when you evaluate draft prospects every year because they're so young, guys that understand timing of blitzes and guys that don't. And the Jets, they don't have any great blitzers. They kind of just have athletes like Quincy Williams, who's had a nice year, but he's an athlete blitzing, uh, not really a polished veteran blitzing. And I think that's what was coming into play and why it was ultimately hurting the front four. And you can have that thing where it's like, you're the sacrificial guy. You're not supposed to win. You're supposed yes. to blitz directly into the left side of the center's uh, you know, shoulder. And guy's like, I can beat the center on this. And you go smashing into Quentin Williams, who's waiting for you to take that dude out of his way. Um, and you can coach that up. But then if the kid's like reacting, because, you know, they're not like this, you know, experienced player, then you're going to get these mistakes. I want to throw a prop at you. Since we were talking a little bit about Mike White, Mike White over 1.5 interceptions. At wow. Plus, at plus 165. It's very rare for the house to put any number but 0.5. So 1.5 is plus money. Huh? As you said, it's pl- plus 165 to go over that. Yeah. I, I would probably take the over. I think they let him, I think they let him play in this game and let him throw. I, I, and I don't think that necessarily indicates that Mike White will have an awful game. I, right. I just think. I said it on, you know, Bill's radio this week, and they kind of laughed, but they kind of didn't laugh at it. It's just funny we've gotten here. This game could be a shootout, and and both defenses are good. It's just that I think both teams will try to throw uh, consistently in this game because the Jets now trust their quarterback to take advantage of their weapons. They didn't trust Zach Wilson, who threw for, what, 156 the last time they met. And Josh Allen is Josh Allen. We know Josh Allen's not going to stop throwing the ball. So I, at that number... Plus 165, I, I would think he gets the two. He played well last week, had two picks. Yep. One was a tip drill. One was uh, the he, tip, yeah. Yeah, his, his big game last year, not the Bills game, which was a mess, was a two-pick game. He threw three touchdowns. I think, I think I'm playing that one. I'll play that right now. You guys talk. The Allen is, Allen is interesting. You know, he got like 35 yards or something, a 35-yard touchdown on a run around left end in the first game. But Wilson also scrambled for a couple of third down conversions that were pretty necessary. It, the Jets played better than I think people realized. They won by three points, but they actually had a 62-yard drive at one point that got stopped by a strip sack. So they actually had, like, they were more efficient than the Bills. This was not like a lucky win. Like, they actually outplayed the Bills, I think, in this first game. So, I mean, whether they can do that again is going to be difficult, but... Um, the one thing I think White's not a scrambler, right? Like he's not going to no. go scrambling for third and five the way Wilson did. No, he won't. And and going back to how weird this game was, I think it was that drive with the strip sack. The Jets are flying down the field that drive, and the sky cam cable breaks. Yeah, and they essentially <laughs> have another halftime. It took for right. it, it was unbelievable how long it's. I think it took fifteen minutes to get this sorted out, and I. Some people don't believe in momentum. Some people hate momentum. They were the Bills defense could not figure anything out on this drive, and they have a halftime stop the drive. Right. So there's just it's things like that. 
Yeah, That's it was cool. weird. And then they had the strip sack, but then Allen threw the interception to Gardner awesome. two yep. plays later, and then the Jets got the ball back, and then they scored a touchdown. Yeah, that's not that's not momentum. That's something where the coaches can actually sit down and go over some stuff with guys. Yeah, guys can take a ten minute break if they're gassed. Except that's not just well, you know, the game went a certain way. That's really unique circumstances. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. allowed the Bills, who have a great coaching staff, to completely catch their breath and get everybody ready to go. And right. you know, they're not going to make mistakes when they get those opportunities. It feels like. Although, you know, the Jets have a good coaching staff, too. We said going into this season, I mean, I think we even said going into last season, we talked about how we believed in the Jets coaching staff. We just didn't necessarily believe in their players. And I think that what you've seen with the Jets being a winning team this year is in some ways a product of having a good coaching staff you can believe in, both Salah and LaFleur. I would say, guys, for the first time in about 10 to 12 years, they have player development. It, and I'm not exaggerating. It's they draft guys with a plan for their development and their fit with the scheme because Salah's scheme and LaFleur's scheme and Ulbrich gets credit too. They're defined and you're seeing guys come into the system and actually understand what they're being asked to do and grow. And they're, they're first round, second round talents. I mean, they've compiled a ton of picks over the years and they're playing up to their standards. So I, I do think this staff gets it. And I think they get it in a lot of different ways. They've been good in get Salah's pulled the right buttons when he needed to. Uh, I think they actually faked a punt on fourth down against the Bills. Yes, the first there was time a around. fourth and one fake punt that kept a drive going. Yep. He's just pressed a lot of the right buttons this year, going all the way down to benching Zach Wilson for Mike White. And and that's a sign of a coach that, you know, should be around for a while. Yeah, the only one about that button is I think a lot of people would argue he needed to press it sooner. Yeah, the New England game, Mike White should have got a look in the second half. And if they split with New England, we're not talking about the Jets' playoff chances at 50%. We're talking, we're figuring out who the Jets should be playing in the playoffs. Yeah. That's the tough one. Can we answer Sean Ryder's question real quick before we have to get you out of there? Where are some of the areas Bills could attack in this game? For me, it's, and I know the Bills, when they got Naheem Hines, it felt like this was going to be what they were doing. And now it's James Cook's show. Uh, throw to the running back. The Jets have not tackled running backs in space very well. And this is mm-hmm. in games where they've easily won, like the Bears. David Montgomery broke a million tackles that game. Uh, that Ramondre Stevenson was a thorn in their side this year. They they just don't tackle running backs in space very well. And Allen gets those sugar highs where he, the play's extending and he's looking for 30-yard completions to Diggs and Davis. And that's because he's amazing and can do that. But I think if somebody sits Josh Allen down in this game and goes, hey, you could take those shots, but you don't always have to do it, you'll get 10 to 12 yards checking it down to your running backs when you have the time. So that would be my number one thing I would would look to uh, get in Josh Allen's ear if I was the Bills in this game. I'm going to add, by the way, the middle of the field. Like, as you would expect, given how well Gardner and Reed have played this year, the Jets are very strong against outside passes. They're 24th in DVOA on passes in the middle of the field. So maybe some crossing routes, but also some Dawson Knox. Like, oh, you know. Yes. I remember him. Yeah, yeah remember right? Dawson Knox? Like, that would be, I think, a good way for the Bills to attack in this game. Makes a ton of sense. It's crazy. We just, we haven't seen it. But the Jets, we've talked about this going all the way back to July. Whitehead and Joyner are, you know, I would think the weaker spot of the defense. And it's not that they're bad. But you can no, but Reed them. and Gardner are playing really well. That yes. is the weaker spot of the defense. 
and even Mosley's a step slow in coverage. I mean, he's a, he's yeah. a fine player, but you're not look. He's not Fred Warner out there. So when you look at it, yeah, that's that's what teams should do, and it's a little alarming they haven't consistently gone to that well. People challenge Sauce and Reed every single week, every single week. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So this time. the line <laughs> is uh, Jets plus nine and a half. Even though the Jets won the last game, you have it at DraftKings at plus ten. I have it up to the middle because I was just placing wagers while you guys were talking. Uh, I had it at 10. Yes, we are at plus 10 on DraftKings. Yeah, I, the uh, consensus, the Vegas Insider consensus is 9.5. So some places have it 9.5 and, and some places have it 10. Um, I mean, if I was putting money on this game, I would take the Jets and the point. I, I do think the Bills are definitely the better team. Like yep. if, I'm, if you ask me who's going to win this game, I mean, it's hard to see the Jets sweeping the Bills. Right. Uh, but... Um, but that's a lot of points, especially if you get 10 instead of nine and a half. It's so disrespectful. And when we were trying to figure out the line that this game would open at, you know, I was guessing it would open at four and a half and move to maybe six by the end of the week. And I I was like, you know, unfortunately I would take the bills in this one because it's everything goes their way in terms of how hungry they are for this win. It's at Buffalo, which is really only a point and a half. You take the bills straight up, but would you also be, if you had to bet with the spread, would you take the bills minus 10 or no, absolutely not. I, with the line where it's at, I'm taking the jets. I think 10 is, I mean, even if the jets have a chance to backdoor cover that 10, 10 is a lot of points for a team that has beaten this Buffalo team. Uh, The jets are a really good second half team, which really plays into the spread a lot. So I'm I'm a little surprised it's gotten that far away. Yeah, me too. Yeah, at around six, I would be leaning Bills. At ten, I'm taking Jets and the points. I just took the Mike White interceptions, which is a little bit of a hedge in the other way because if the Jets get hammered, Mike White probably has two interceptions in the game, and it's like insurance on the bet. So, by the way, Patrick Sealy, the Jets do not have a five and two quarterback in street clothes. The Jets were five and two with no quarterback. Yes, quarterback wins are not a stat. Stat wins are not a quarterback stat, and especially in Zach Wilson's case, wins yes. were not a quarterback stat. And you're talking to one of the biggest Zach Wilson defenders on the internet who feels like, well, no, I feel like he was bad, but he was not as horrible as people think. Once you adjust for the quality of the defenses he had to face, I think he was better than people think. I still think they made the right move by going yep. away from him. But he was not like the worst quarterback in the league this year. He was better than Mayfield. He was better than Davis Mills. I think we got to get you out of here, right, Connor? Yeah, but I'll, I'll say one last thing. You yeah. know, his, and his presser got him benched, right? He, he just lost yeah. the room. <laughs> he, he lost the room. And, uh, you know, it's also when you go back to the record situation. I mean, Mike White is 2-0 and right now. Braxton Berrios just catches the ball. It's And yeah. Mike White did a lot, made a lot of plays to win that game. And yes. that's why quarterback wins are not a stat because – Something like that completely affects that stat specifically. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. uh, Thank you to Connor Rogers. SNY TV, NBC Sports, Fantasy Football Happy Hour, and and PFF. What do you do for PFF? Uh, The Stock Exchange Podcast. We cover the draft all year round. All right. Tampa Bay Trey. That's right. All right. So you can catch him doing all of those things, and he watches the Jets. And thanks for all this cool Jets information, man. Thank you, guys. Great talking to you. I'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good. <laughs> All um, right. Yeah. Let's also have a Super Bowl MVP on the bench, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, pretty- don't, yeah. 
we're not going to play who we're not going to play who could have won if such and such a guy caught the pass or didn't catch the pass. I mean, the right. Jets did lose the game, but also right. if you're asking which quarterback has played better for the Jets this year, it yes. is not a hard question to answer. Even if you adjust Wilson for the quality of the defenses he had to face, White has been better than Wilson this year. Like that is not a question. And so was And White was better than Wilson last year too. Yes. And so was Joe Flacco. Yes. Uh, don't forget, you can make comments. If you are watching the show live, we're on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you're listening afterwards as a podcast, come watch us live 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can make comments live on YouTube or on Twitch. And Patrick is a Pats fan who loves seeing them ruin their number two overall pick. He's trying to get me to choose violence here. I was gonna <laughs> say, the Jets ruining top draft picks is a great tradition. I mean, you know, listen. Yeah, look, and Mac Jones is doing great. Well, listen, yeah, speaking of ruining top draft picks, I think the Patriots are doing some ruining of their own right now. So, I mean, you know, Mike may disagree with me on this, but if I you asked me whether Mac Jones's play this year, how much of it has to do with um, how they're dealing with him versus his own innate abilities, I would think his numbers last year show that uh, how they're dealing with him is a winning out over his own innate abilities. So the Patriots aren't doing the greatest with player development either right now. I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. All right, let's talk some more about this week's games. Uh, there are only 13 games this week, so we're only going to cover five on the show, but a couple of more 1 p.m. games. Let's start with Philadelphia at the New York Giants. Uh, Eagles Super Bowl chances, which we have higher than anybody else. Right. Uh, 48% if they win this game, 39% if they lose. Uh, we It's interesting we have the Eagles because I think everyone agrees they have the inside track to the number one seed. Yep. For some reason, we have their odds higher than anybody else. I, absolutely. I think you're clicking out again. So if you can. Uh, you know what? That may be me going to look at my notes. Uh, I see. I, I may not be able to look at my notes. Oh no! Giants playoff odds: forty-five percent if they lose, seventy-five percent if they win. We're gonna get this notes thing fixed by next week. Uh, what are your feelings on the Giants and Eagles in this one? Eagles win. The end. Period. I mean, this is just the Giants were trying very hard last week to surrender, but they were trying to surrender to the Commanders, who also wanted to surrender, and that's why we had this game that had overtime with them punting back and forth the ball to each other. I, I guess the closest thing to like a good matchup, the Giants do have a good run defense. They can control that. The Giants still run the ball well. So that's like the Eagles quote unquote weakness that like, uh, that hasn't gone away as a, as a narrative in terms of a weakness. Although the Giants running game really is just boiled down to, they're doing zone read with Barkley and, and, and Danny Jones. That's about all they've got right now. So I can see the Eagle. I, I can see the Giants finding ways to keep this close, but there's just a, a mismatch like like the giants are sort of like a weaker version of the, the the titans the titans go out there with not a lot except a running back and like a lot of toughness and defense and try to keep the game close and the giants do a weaker version of that and we saw how, how the titans fared against the eagles last week i don't see that much of a difference this week it's interesting here's a fun stat the eagles offense is number two on first down okay the giants defense is number 32 on first down. Wow. How, yeah. So, 
I was on a podcast and they were asking why the Giants defense is so low this year overall. And I didn't have a good answer, except, you know, the Giants aren't that good. I mean, that's <laughs> Giants aren't that, the answer is the Giants aren't that good. They've escaped with they've escaped with close wins. What has gone well for them is the offense. Daniel Jones has been better than the past. It, I mean, it's a great coaching job by Brian yes. Dable that their offense is carrying them to wins because they're like the receivers are Darius Slayton and your mom. So <laughs> I, I, it's amazing, but that is what's happened is their offense has carried them to win. Their defense is not good. My mom is in fact more reliable at age 83 than Kenny Galladay. So that does absolutely scan there. And yeah, I, I don't know, like it's almost like you try to say, well, what's our defensive game plan against the Giants? It's just like, don't mess up. Just don't mess up. You, know, you can constrict. You're not going to – Slayton might get one deep pass per game. And other than that, just try to make these run fits. And I think the Eagles now – Jordan Davis is back. Now they can rotate like 18 different guys at defensive tackle, which they couldn't do a couple weeks ago. They should be able to take away those running lanes. It definitely feels – Patrick Seeley says, Eagles should roll like last week, but divisional games get weird. It is true. Yes. Divisional games get weird. Yes. And um, in, in general, like in the over-under formula that I uh, – divisional games are slightly lower scoring than other games, all other things uh, being equal. Um, but I really don't think this is going to be a problem. The, 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 the Giants have run out of Lucky Charms horseshoes. Yes. You know, they've run out of horseshoe marsh, marshmallows. Uh, the, the, Vikings, <laughs> the Vikings have a whole box – that is nothing but horseshoe marshmallows, but the Giants ran out of the horseshoe marshmallows. And uh, I just think the Eagles are just a much better team. The line is six and a half, and I would go Eagles and give the point. Same. Also would have probably gone with green clovers if I was doing the Yucky Charms reference. Oh, but it's right. definitely going to be – it's going to be orange stars. That's all they've got left. So yeah. we're, 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 uh, before we hit the next game, Scar988 wants to know if we have thoughts on the Falcons – quarterback switch to Desmond Ritter. It's interesting because normally the way we would have expected this season to go is that the Falcons would have been four games out of it by this point. And right. it would have been, well, we have nothing left to lose. Let's find out what we have in Ritter. Mm -hmm. But the Falcons are only a game or a game and a half behind Tampa. Game and a but half. Let's be honest, Tampa's going to win that division. So what do they have to lose? Let's find out what they have in Ritter. And Mariota has played reasonably but he's been terrible on deep passes and they want to build their offense out of running in deep passes right uh, according to a, a website called football outsiders the falcons still have an 8.6 percent chance of winning that division because the buccaneers are this weird mess of a team i guess we're going to get to them in a minute or so but yeah so much of what the falcons were doing interestingly i looked this up the falcons only go three and out 13 and a half percent of the time like their running game and like their short game is getting them drives. Only the 49ers get more consistent drives than the, than the uh, Falcons. Then the Falcons early in the season would try to go for the home run ball. They could surprise people over the top with the home run ball. The limits of Marcus Mariota have come in in recent weeks. People know, you know, that ball's not going to get accurately downfield. Drake London's the only threat downfield. You're not getting that. This is an opportunity. Again, it's a chance to evaluate. It's coming after the bye. I guess my only concern with it is they got back-to-back -back road games against tougher defenses because they got the Saints, they got the Ravens. I don't think there's a time along the way where they're going to be easy defenses that they could have faced. So this is – and the final thing with that is, like, Ritter, he has four games and then it's over. It's not like he's got to keep going and, a, you know, oh, he has a couple a good run 
and then the opponent gets a book on him, and then he has like a, a bad game late. He gets four games, and then he can show everything he's capable of doing right now, and they can evaluate from there. I will also say, if you want to know about Desmond Ritter, search on our site. There's yes. a really good future film room, prospect film room. Derek Klassen felt that Ritter was the best quarterback in last yes. year's class. Yes, absolutely. So and he's now got, he's got a lot of the traits. So. Let's see what he's going to do. So um, one more 1 p.m. game we want to talk about. I don't have playoff odds for this one uh, because the fact is the Detroit Lions are still in it, but their playoff odds are very low. But it's an interesting game, Minnesota at Detroit, because uh, Vegas is smoking what we are smoking when it comes to the Vikings. (laughs) The Lions have alternately been favored by one and a half or two and a half in this game, despite the fact that they are five and seven and the Vikings are 10 and two. Yeah, right now I'm seeing Lions minus two at home across over under a 52 indicating the expectation that this is going to be a shootout back yeah. and forth. I, Lions offense looks really good right now. Yeah, I will say our over-under formula likes an under in this game. At that height, I can say. That is a very high. It's like 52.5, and the Lions' defense has actually been pretty good the last five or six weeks. Right, right. You're just seeing stouter play really among their front seven linebacking core, all those things. And then, yeah, it was a really convincing win against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It really just, it just rolled away from the Jaguars. Um, I, I'm not ready for the Lions to be the team that trips up the Vikings though. I'm just not there yet. I do feel a little bit like um, Justin Jefferson feels a little bit like Thanos. (laughs) He's inevitable. Like, he makes these catches at the end of these yeah. games that are like nobody can cover him, and especially no one on the Lions can cover him. Right. And yet, the first time these two teams played this year, the Vikings won by three points, and Justin Jefferson had only something like sixteen yards. Right. Well, that that the Eagles lost by the Vikings earlier. They got away from Justin Jefferson, and it's a. I think it's a Kirk Cousins thing where it's like. Oh, I'm seeing double coverage roll that way. My computer brain tells me to check down to you know Jerry Munt or CJ Ham or something like that, where the computer brain should be like, get it, get it, get it. And I think it was Arif, like a couple of weeks ago, said he started to just screw this. As J- Justin's down there somewhere yeah, and do that, do it right. And also that now you have Hawkinson. There's another check down besides Steele, and you can say, here's a guy who can come down and and, and make plays for me. As can Cook along the way. So. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings should be able to score significantly in this game. Um, and, yeah, I'm, st- I'm still leaning towards them. Uh, very hard overcoming the Lions' skepticism, despite the fact they've looked so good in the last couple of Yeah, years. I mean, you know, it's interesting because the numbers say go with Lions here. And I'm, so <laughs> I'm just waiting and waiting for the Lions to just – I'm waiting for the, for the Vikings to finally, you know – lose close games like it's they can't keep winning close games but right. i don't know I, their schedule is kind of easy the rest of the way and i i could talk i mean i i guess i i guess i'm gonna say i would take the vikings and the points i think so i mean patrick's making an argument over here yeah, mac jones and mike white both look good mac jones looks good for a while that very soft defense playing this great offensive line of the Lions where you can just sit, they'll be able to run, they'll be able to stay ahead of the sticks. 
And then the sort of like and uh, really good know. receivers. Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Chark are really good receivers. I mean, they haven't missed Hawkinson at all, interestingly. They just they have not throwing, other, they've just stopped throwing the tight end. That's all. Yeah, and that other tight end, that rookie hasn't made a couple plays. And, and but I think the receiver, I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown is good. You're seeing an offensive line just creating everything. I know people were talking about, you know, Jared Goff is this, that, and the other thing. Jared Goff is very high in DVOA. That's a clean pocket. That's nonstop clean pockets and all the things that nonstop clean pockets do for you. That is an argument for the offensive linemen and an argument. I think Jared Goff's DVOA is not an argument for Jared Goff. It is an argument for Ben Johnson as assistant coach of the year. All right. All right. Is he line coach? He is. No, he's the offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator. I lost track of who their coordinator was. All right, I will. I will buy that. Maybe a uh, line coach as well should deserve. Some I mean, maybe maybe as assistant coach of the year, or maybe second on my ballot behind Shane uh, Strickland. Yeah, I about to say there's some good things going on here in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, um, I you know, a couple of weeks ago, I felt very confident about Shane Stricken. I can't even pronounce it. So yeah, as, as my choice, I think Ben Johnson's doing. I mean, what the Lions are doing though is pretty impressive, honestly. Right. Right. I'm just um, gonna stay away from the game. I'm staying away from the Vikings games from now on. Uh, 4 p.m. We said we were going to talk about Tampa Bay. So, and now I have notes again, by the way, because my printer. This is the last page my printer printed before it ran out of ink. <laughs> Tampa Bay at San Francisco, 4 p.m. Surprisingly, not one of the more important games of the week for playoff leverage because these teams are mostly in. Yeah, the Buccaneers are still at 83 percent if they lose. The 49ers are still at 88% if they lose. The Buccaneers can go six and seven, lose to Black Purdy, and have an 83% chance of making the playoffs. That's correct. Only in the, after almost getting their butts handed to them by Andy Dalton until all hell breaks loose in the second half of the fourth quarter on Monday night. Only I don't America- think they almost had their butts handed to them by Andy Dalton. I think they almost had their butts handed to them by Demario Davis and Cam. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is... Much more accurate, but yes. Uh, until all hell broke loose in the fourth quarter, that part is true. Only in the NFC South, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Tom Brady, I will point out the interesting stat I found. ESPN, I'm working on a piece for ESPN for next week about the weaknesses of the various quarterbacks. Okay. And Tom Brady has struggled against the Blitz for the last couple of years. Not this year. Tom Brady is number one in QBR against the Blitz. He's 20th. Against four pass rushers. That's yeah. weird. That's weird. It's weird, except their offensive line isn't what it was the last two years. You're getting yeah. more and pressure there. What are the 49ers are going? What are the 49ers going to send? Are they going to send blitzes or are they going to send four pass rushers? That's right, kids. They are sending four pass rushers. <laughs> four really good pass rushers. Watching um, the um Watching the uh, the the Dolphins 49ers game, and you know, people praise the 49ers linebackers 100%. Of course, it's true. The Buccaneers really like running on those early downs, and it looks like they want to try to do what everyone wants they to do. God, on early they downs. suck at it, they suck, they're horrible at it. They're horrible at it. And then, while well, we're going to set up play action, I'm going to point out Tom Brady can't be bothered play faking anymore, but we're not going to get into that right now. It's like he doesn't want to bend that far. If yeah. you think you're going to suck the 49ers linebackers in with play action and then they're not going to be in position for underneath passes, bad news from Tua Tunga Viola about this. They're going to be back. They're going to be in those lanes. And one of the reasons I think Tua was firing high 
a lot last week is because he's trying to get it over linebackers that he realizes we're not sucked in in any way that can get back there and are taking away some of those underneath. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. Those intermediate middle passes that we read so much about before that game, and then Miami went away from where they they throw more of them than anybody else, but they went away from them in that game because of the 49ers. Yeah. We're talking 10 to 19 air yards, middle of the field. You know the 49ers are a below average defense against those passes. Amazing because they seem like it seemed like they were in a great rep is so good against those uh-huh. passes. The actual results are not that good on those over passes. The middle, over the middle of the field 10 to 19. Huh. But the Dolphins just didn't challenge it. They didn't they didn't they 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 were like Fred Warner were not challenging them there, even though the numbers said you could challenge them there, but they didn't do it. A couple of times they did. There were a few passes in there, and they were overthrows. Yeah. And I feel pretty confident that it's like, well, I know I got to get it over this line of, of defense along the way. So, well, maybe that's something that the Buccaneers could exploit. So um, I think I may have written this. The line is San Francisco by three and a half. It's this crazy, like, seventh-round rookie is favored against Tom Brady thing. Yep. Yep. And I'm almost kind of thinking I would go San Francisco. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always want to go with that backup quarterback in that, in their first start. I always want to do it. You do, you do, but they're rarely favored in their first start. Correct. And that's why my play of the week, I went backtracked and I just did a three legged parlay money line. So straight up bets of the 49ers the Chiefs, and the Seahawks, three teams where I did not love the Lions, but I felt confident with the win or confident with the other two wins and then the 49ers. I'm just curious how this plays out. I don't really know what Brock Purdy has to offer. He can complete short passes in the middle of the field. He can squirt the ball to C-Mac and Debo. And really some people him. loved what he did in the first game. I missed what they I missed what they really loved. Ted I, I watched the guy yeah, running in the sacks. And, yeah. uh, I, I saw a guy running in the sacks. I mean, DVOA-wise, that was one of the worst San Francisco passing games of the year. But it wasn't bad. It was just average. I, I mean, he 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 gets the ball over the middle to Kittle with a guy in his face. That's a pretty impressive throw. There's another quick step throw, a couple of those that are fine over the middle of the field. He benefits a lot from de- defensive pass interference. And, I mean, there's just one play where he thinks he's Michael Vick. And he basically runs into Melvin Ingram, like trying to do like a Superman scramble around the back. A couple of plays where it didn't look like he managed the pocket well. I, I mean, I, I I see the adequacy to get through, you know, games, et cetera, et cetera. I I, I don't see somebody who's like, well, if you watch the film, you'll be, your eyes will be open. I, I did. They weren't. Uh, let's talk about uh, one more thing I'll say about this game. The over-under is 37 and a half. I know. The over-under formula loves the over in this game. I was going to do 49ers and over in a parlay, and I got 12 feet about it. But I think that there's turnover, points off turnover opportunities either way. I think there's field goal opportunities either way. My brain kept landing on 21-16, and I kept not playing the over, but I can see it. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Miami at the Los Angeles Chargers at 8 p.m. Flex, flex football. Take a Rama. Take Apocalypse. Yeah, we are really having a two of we're we're having a two of versus Herbert. Take Apocalypse. Take Apocalypse. Take Apocalypse 
Apocalypse is coming, and I'm dancing, dancing to the end of it. But let's say this about Tua and Herbert. Uh, Tua's defense sucks, and yep. Herbert's defense sucks more. That's true. Herbert's and that's, defense. I think, the biggest thing in this game. I mean, and Tua's defense doesn't suck. They're, they're actually average. They're actually average. They've been better. I went and looked at since Bradley Chubb showed up because it's yeah. – Miami has an interesting dichotomy. Miami has a very high pass rush win rate in ESPN's pass rush win rate and a terrible pressure rate. Terrible. By ESPN's own charting, they're 29th in pressure rate. I'm sure at the pro football references charting, they're even worse. Mm -hmm. Now that's improved to 31% since Chubb showed up, but even that is just 18th in the league. But their pass defense, we're only talking four games but their pass defense has improved from 27th to 12th since Chubb showed up. So their defense has not sucked for at least the last four games. The Chargers defense sucks. Oh, and by the way, those intermediate middle passes that Miami loves so much and didn't throw against Fred Warner, they will throw plenty against Kenneth Murray and (laughs) Drew Tranquil, and the Chargers are 26th in defensive DVOA against those passes. Yeah, and there's going to be running plays. And one thing that Tua was not – I mean, what the Dolphins couldn't do was run the ball effectively for most of that game. That sets up more third and longs, obviously. You can run the ball still against the Chargers. It's not like last year's nightmare Chargers run defense, but it's a pretty bad run defense. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I forgot to mention, this is the most important game for our playoff odds. The Dolphins are 97% with a win, mm-hmm. 78% with a loss. The Chargers are 40, 40% with a win, 8% with a loss. They cannot lose this game. They cannot lose this game. They might lose this game. They probably are going to feel – I feel good about the Dolphins in this game, actually. Right. And the uh, – you know, I'm sorry. I, I short-circuit. The word Justin Herbert, I almost have like a, a reaction. I start twitching without saying the word here. Okay. The offensive line of the Chargers right now, it is two rookies including Jamari Saylor, who everyone talks about is really good at left tackle. He was really good at left tackle the first four weeks. First four weeks, four five weeks, guys have figured him out. The right tackle, I forget the guy's name, but it's not Storm Norton, and it's not Storm Norton's backup. It's Storm Norton's backup's backup. Right, it was a practice squad guy. I don't, I don't yes. remember his name either, but but I know what you're yeah. talking about. He's not, no. And Storm Norton was not good. Storm Norton was no, bad. No, it's, 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 it's a bad of the bad of the bad. Yeah. It's the bad of the bad of the bad. Chandler Jones, who I thought was ready to retire, had three sacks and a deflected pass the other day. Guys are coming right up the middle. Um, so the, the folks who say, uh, you know, Justin Herbert is not his fault. A lot of it is not his fault. That That is legitimately true. The folks who say Joe Lombardi should be throwing it deep. If Joe Lombardi tried to throw it deep, Justin Herbert would be dead right now. So that's there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, like kind of keep an eye on what you're talking about with these things. But it's going to be very hard for – that Chargers offense that folks want to see, I don't think you're going to see it in this game. I don't think you're going to see it in the foreseeable future because there's just not enough on that offensive line. DVOA just feels that the Chargers are a bad team this year. Yeah. Like, yes, they're six and six. Six and six. They are much lower, much lower in DVOA than the Jets or the Patriots. You had games like the Cardinals games. They come away with the win, but it's the Cardinals. And they're grinding, grinding, grinding to, to get this win in the fourth quarter where the two teams are just punting back and forth. And you're facing this ba- bad opponent. You're facing a bad opponent that is really bad in the second half. 
and eventually you come away with the win. But that's kind of like the le- the Chargers are showing you that that's kind of the level they're on. They're on the level with opponents like the Raiders, like the Cardinals, who they play neck and neck with most weeks. So it's uh, Dolphins minus three and a half, and fifty one and a half is the over under. Think like the system has to like the under, right? The system says slightly under. Mm, okay. And um, strong on the Dolphins. Let's do it. I wonder what the parlay would be. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pull it up on time. There's too many yeah, to But I, I feel good about the Dolphins in this game. I just feel like the Chargers, I feel like we're having too much of a take a about Herbert versus Tua. Like, I still feel like Herbert is very special. And it, literally, he's stuck in an everything that could go wrong has gone wrong situation on offense this year where he's hamstrung by the offensive coordinator. He's hamstrung by the offensive line injuries. His receivers have not been healthy. Like I feel like using this year to make a judgment on Herbert just feels wrong to me, but it doesn't change the fact that all those things are bad. All those things are true. For Miami, they're not. Right. And uh, you'll see tomorrow's walkthrough what I think about that, uh, about the quarterback who's below Marcus Mariota and DVOA and DR. But, I do agree that Herbert has the strengths to be an outstanding quarterback. It doesn't matter when so many things are going wrong right. and when you're facing a team that has more things going right. And the Takerama is, again, the battle for third-best quarterback in the 2020 draft class, folks. Right. Well, oh, you're putting Hurts above both of them, huh? Of course I am because he's better than both of them. I will say Bill Barnwell had a big ESPN Plus piece today, and he put two a second. Okay. And Hertz, Hertz third. Hertz third. third. And Herbert and you, fourth. And Herbert fourth. So I, Bur- I'm Burrow, not a little... Burrow, for, Burrow first. And I think most people at this point would put Burrow first because he's because he's definitely worked on his clear weakness, right? Which is he's taking fewer sacks. Exactly. He's right. He, he cut down on the sacks, does more underneath, underneath stuff. He's developing. And he also did the things. He, he did he do did, the things. Yeah. He did the things. And folks, if me and Bar- Barnwell start agreeing, watch out because that's bad news for the world all right that does it uh i because of my mic issue i cannot read the uh, sponsorship but you should definitely use our friends at underdog fantasy because they sponsor our shows and because they provide a chance to bet on over under player lines even if you're in a state where that is normally not allowed and uh like me and they're great and they're good games. Underdogfantasy.com or download from the App Store. Use promo code OUTSIDERS. And I promise I will have either my screen or my printer fixed by the next time we do one of these shows. And remember, folks, they have NBA. They have NHL. It's like Yes! Other NBA. sports! People, you also may be interested in other sports. Right. A lot of under over-unders and props and things like that for these other sports. It's like, I, I've already got all the things I'm doing for NFL. I'm not going to go to underdog. I wonder if they've already started doing best ball baseball drafts. Go gr- oh, grab this. your your Xander Bogarts <laughs> and your Trey, Trey Turner. Yeah, Trey Turner coming to Philadelphia, man. I, I'm going to pretend I know. I, I have he's, no... He's very, he's very, very good. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. My neighbors will be happy. Here's the thing we don't get in football. San Diego signed Xander Bogarts to an 11-year contract. Oh, my God. He's 30. They signed him really? to a contract until he's 41. That's, I, it's, it's such a different world. 
it's such a different world. It's such a different world. Like I can imagine an eleven-year contract and all of us trying to analyze it. And so I'm like, well, you know, a, a player of his type might still be good at forty-three. Who? Tom Brady? And nobody? A punter? Who? You know? The only player in the NFL who's worth an eleven-year contract is Justin Turner. Justin Tucker. I mean. Justin, <laughs> Justin Tucker. Tucker. Justin because Tucker, kickers right. are still good into their forties. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. It won't cost that much. Okay, 1 p.m. Eastern every day for the shows. Tomorrow, Kale and uh, Jackson will take on some of these hot takes in the Hot Take Review Show. Monday, Mike will be back to review the weekend in action. I'll be here Tuesday for the DVOA Data Show. So 1 p.m. Eastern for the live stream. Thank you so much, folks. Have a good week 14. 